0: Light. Episode 14 The Source Part 2 Outside, the Mims wait patiently. Ruby scans the crowd of animals and feels her heartbeat quicken. She's in awe of what's happening here, despite the potential for disaster. Gavin emerges behind her with his eyes half-closed, expecting something like the opening scene of Gladiator to be waiting for him, except with furry mammals. People wander out behind them, a little dazed with vacant staring expressions, as if they're out in the middle of the night in pyjamas, convinced the hoovering needs doing in the park. The mims sniff at the air as it fills with the scent of... what... Their opponents? Their counterparts? Annoying cousins? Who can say, really? They seem to register every nuance of their behaviour, though. Fur ruffles and stands on end. Claws glint. Teeth are bared. Lips licked. Some tense their muscles and look as if they might pounce. And the humans do notice this. Mick... Bethany, the tall man in the wizard hat, they all seem to take umbrage and pull themselves up taller, ready for a fight. Most don't, though, and really what we have here is more like fans of opposing football teams at a football match standing about. There is the potential for skirmish, but it's hardly like some kind of interspecies battle warming up. Ruby clenches her jaw at the news that she's not getting back up anytime soon. She looks at the unlikely gathering and sees the best and worst outcomes clearly in her quick mind's eye. The bat circles, among many other nocturnal beasts of the air. Gavin watches them tensely. Owl is seated on the theatre roof, trying to ignore the monkeys. She doesn't like to mix with the riffraff unless she has to. Why did I move here? He mutters. So you could meet me? Ruby is behind him and turns to wink as she then finds a quiet place to radio into control again. And then Elle appears from nowhere and ambles up to him. Thanks for the computer, she murmurs, almost inaudible. You took your time. I hope you've got a plan. Oh, shit the computer. It won't be a sec. Don't do any magic until I'm back. He turns and jogs back round the side of the building. Elle senses the situation in the theatre car park. She looks beyond the immediate gathering to the roofs, lamp posts, telephone wires and trees above her and turns slowly to see the extent of the job she has to do. She appreciates the lack of panic among the neighbours, but notices the notes of worry creeping back into conversations, and sees Eric as hands grab his arms asking for a story. Slowly, the volume of chatter rises. The animals are on alert. She looks around for charity, can only see Ruby who might help. Ruby's eyes connect with hers. She signs off on the radio and walks forward, clearing her throat. Please make your way home as quickly and quietly as you can. Just ignore the animals. More officers are on their way to help ensure your safety. Cat stalks forward. Eric, you're not telling any stories. He's not telling any more stories. Don't you understand what happens when he does? This... This is what happens. Cat, please keep your voice down. Ruby tries. (coughs) Oh, God, that's the boar. I heard it snort. It's Caden. And because it's Caden, people believe him. Just like last night. Where is it? Please try and keep calm. Ruby is losing them. And from behind the theatre begins a timpani of clangs and bangs and creaks. Things collapsing, materials breaching, empty paint cans rolling, is it? It sounds like a bull in a... Well, no, of course it's not a bull. It's a boar in a furniture store. The boar has found itself behind the big Victorian building and has got tangled somehow in the higgledy-piggledy chaos of the precarious wooden lean-to, and its collection of bits of old set-pieces and backdrops, furniture, props and paint cans, and it's trying to find its way out. Brandon, asks Ruby urgently, must be in the store at the back. Ruby's heart misses a beat as she remembers Gavin running off towards it a few minutes ago. Elle asks where Charity is and Eric's face betrays his guilt as he remembers the girl being taken out through that exit by Tanya. That's one clumsy man, one would-be storyteller, and one damaged weakened woman against one confused angry pig. A crash. The animals let out a volley of screeches and grunts, barks and whines. They seem to be cheering their champion on. The humans draw in their breath sharply. Small groups start to edge out of the car park and make their way home to safety, but they find their way blocked now. The mims won't let them go. They dart forward, snarling at anyone trying to leave. Ruby swallows. Should she get people back inside? There are scufflings from inside the doors now too. The mims are everywhere. There's no escape. No choice but to face them. As Ruby asks on her radio again for backup, there appears at the corner of the long side wall the reverse of Gavin. He's carrying something large and heavy and is obviously trying to extricate himself from a difficult situation. He backs towards the waiting hordes, with his back to the wall. He grips grimly onto the big box containing, one assumes, the ancient computer. He creeps along like a cartoon character trying to avoid a searchlight. His eyes are tight shut. Gavin! Gavin! Stop moving and keep quiet, whispers Ruby. He does, without question. You can breathe, though. He lets his breath out, but doesn't unscrew his eyes. Peeping out beyond him, also emerging from behind the theatre, comes the tail of a pig. A hairy, bristly, piggy tail and big, hard haunches, reversing. The boar is seemingly being controlled, or steered, by something at its snout end. It progresses step by trottery step, and the assembled company wait to see if it has hold of some piece of meat, some erstwhile human being. It's charity, not dead, not injured, not even scared by the looks of it. She is crying, but it's almost as if she's in some kind of rapture. She walks forward with her hand on the animal's snout. As she does, the animal noise increases and is now tending towards menacement. Those within sniffing distance of a mim start to feel warm breath on their hands and legs. Ow! Someone's felt a nip. Then there's a wail as a little monkey seizes the old lady's hand. Lewis springs forward and wrenches it off her, flinging it off into the night. Mice, voles and ferrets race in between people's legs now and start to bite and scratch them, but Owl launches and dive-bombs them so they scatter back to the shadows. Nothing stops the inexorable progress of Charity and her boar, though. She moves with it, into the brightly lit stage that is the centre of the car park, in front of Gavin, in front of everyone. Lewis moves forward. Padma, he says, his voice thick with emotion. Padma, says Sally, her face wet with tears, snot covering her top lip. Bouffant no longer bouffed. Padma isn't there, of course, but with every evocation of the name and every thought in every head, human, mim, run-of-the-mill, non-magic animal, the atmosphere rises a notch and the tension tightens. Padma isn't here, says Eric angrily. Why are you saying that? People turn their heads to him. I think she is, Eric. Elle gently places her hand on his shoulder. Eric shrugs it off. No, she isn't. You know Charity isn't up to it. She'll never replace her. She's... And he lowers his voice further. She's flawed. Yeah. She's beautifully flawed, Eric. Just like me. Like everyone. Come on now. Don't you feel her? Eric stands and seems to listen. He looks into the sky above him and scans the faces of his neighbours. He puts his arm out, his palm upwards. The crowlet lands awkwardly on his forearm and hops about there before settling. He draws the bird up towards his face and allows it to put its hard black beak against the soft lobe of his ear. She bites pinches the disc of flesh quickly, pulls deftly and drops of blood fly. No! Eric lashes his arm away, launching her cackling into the air again, wails covering the injury with his hand, tears springing into the air from his eyes, ducking, expecting a more concerted attack. There are sounds of shock and sympathy from the crowd and people gather round him to help, but he pushes them all away violently. It's not her. There's no blood. This is my blood. Look, I'm here. But there is no blood here belonging to Padma. And so there's no way we can stop the green from coming back. You'll all have to just stand it. Like I have the pain. Like I've had to deal with it. She's not good enough. She's no Padma. Charity stares at Eric, her face expressionless now. Here's some. There's no mistaking the voice. Standing by Gavin now, having emerged herself from the darkness and the mayhem, is Tanya. She hobbles forward, holding a piece of dirtied cloth in her hand. We've seen that before. Gavin is still frozen to the wall, but looks down at the thing. He knows it's blood on the T-shirt. Is that blood? Yes, Eric was asking for some of Padma's blood. Well, here's some. As Tanya holds up her prize, Eric walks towards her. No, he runs now. Nobody expected that. It must be the first time those legs have moved that quick in 20 years. He sprints towards her and grabs it. Tanya keeps hold of it, though. Face set in a grim smile, inches from Eric's. He pulls and eventually she lets go. She spits on the floor at his feet. Get back to where you came from, he hisses. Eric's letting his true colours shine this evening, isn't he? Well, some of them. He's a brave man in some respects. I wouldn't go up against Tanya with that look on her face. He stares at her, hard, resolute. Then he sneers at her. He gathers all the entitlement of his family's name and their once unassailable status and sneers at her as if she's dirt beneath his feet. Eric! Gavin is dismayed, ashamed of the old man. Eric is transformed, no more frightened elderly storyteller, beloved of generations of children. It's like he's found a new life force. He gives all of his attention to Charity's T-shirt, covered in Padma's dried blood. Examines it in detail, rubbing at the blood with his fingers, putting it to his mouth and kissing it, Covering his nose and breathing in the last of Padma, tears welling. Eric, if that cloth has Padma's blood on it, it's evidence and I need… Eric almost snarls at her. Quiet! There's unease creeping through the crowd again. Small mammals begin to snarl and moan. The monkeys are skittering over the roof of the theatre for a better look hanging off the gutters and sliding down drainpipes. Gavin tries to get a better grip on the box. Mr Bright, this is serious. I know. I bloody know. The boar books its head. Charity keeps her hand on it, but is starting to doubt herself. Told you. You can't hold it, Charity. You don't have the strength. Your mind's damaged. I'm sorry about that. Eric catches himself, shakes his head. Gavin frowns. What? says Charity. The boar rouses itself, sniffs. Charity feels the movement and alarm shows on her face. Charity, can you concentrate on the boar, please? Ruby, are the police on their way? (coughs) Ruby checks in. Three minutes. Oh, There's a Purring sound, then. The big black SUV coasts to a stop opposite the gate of the theatre, watchful as a demon. Gavin sees it out of the corner of his eye. A warning starts flashing dully in his mind, slippery and vague, but his attention is fixed on Ruby and keeping hold of the box, which seems to be slowly collapsing in his grip. A bead of sweat tickles his cheek. He feels his grip slipping. Ruby notices and wills him to stay still, but it's inevitable. A small plastic object escapes from a rotten corner of the cardboard container and clatters to the floor. It's a mouse. Gavin laments the loss of an opportunity to pun and squeezes his eyes shut when he sees the animal draw its hoof back across the dusty concrete He braces himself for the impact of one hundred and eighty pounds of muscle. That's what it did before it charged last night, says Caden shakily, hiding behind his mother. Listen, Charity, Elle calls to her softly. What? Listen, just listen to this place. Charity takes up the pattern of six in her breathing and does as Elle says. The ball shifts under her hand, but it does seem to calm, and Gavin dares to open one eye. He glances back at Eric, who has dropped the cloth from his face, and has turned to stare at the big black car. Tanya's seen it too. She's stepped back into the shadow of the wall. Sally has also noticed the vehicle, and has positioned herself out of the eyeline of its passengers. Ruby sees the change in Eric's focus and turns to look herself. She takes the opportunity to approach Eric and tries to get a look at the cloth, but as she does so, the rear window of the car slowly descends. Hello, Eric. Eric has a strange look on his face. Nice to see you again, the man calls. Eric begins to tremble. Sally shrinks. The boar grunts, tosses its head. Eric glances over, but then looks back at the man in the car. He's frozen to the spot. Padma! He looks down at the bloodied T-shirt in his hands. Eric, can you give that to me now? He clutches it tightly, drawing it away from her. He looks from Ruby to Gavin to Charity and then back to the man in the car. He slides his eyes to where he knows Tanya is hiding too. Drops his head as if in shame. He's thinking what to do. What can he do? He's in a fix and there's no mistake. No Padma to help him now. His own crowlet has turned against him. His friends can't get him out of it. Looks like he's arriving at the inevitable conclusion. Only one way out. He suddenly holds the blood-soaked cloth aloft, faces the boar, and the animals release their voices into the air, screeching and screaming in support. Come on then! Eric, don't! The boar will charge! I've had enough, little bird. Now, go on, fly away back to your nest. You can't help me animal is capable of killing someone. I know. Then try and stay quiet. No, I've had enough. He's breaking down. I want a story. Sally whispers. No, there's no story now. There's only the end, says Eric. The noise from the animals is becoming deafening, and neighbours grip onto each other, terrified, expecting to be attacked any second. Eric, please tell me what's wrong. I can try and help you. You can't. Your friends can help you, Eric, says El. Yes, come on, says Brandon, walking forward slowly. Eric, let us help. Out of the swarming darkness, then, drops the cawing black scribble of the crowlet, and her hectic flapping wings hit Brandon across the bridge of his nose, splitting it. Bright Scarlet leaps up, and he stumbles back, startled. Lewis instinctively starts forward, but the bird veers round and sticks its claws forward, catch at his hair and dig into his scalp and he screeches in pain, almost grabbing her as she bounces up again, ready for another attack. Lewis! Sarah is only now emerging from the door and runs to him. What's happened? Come on! Eric is walking forward holding the cloth above his head. Ruby is in front of him trying to stop him. The bird has its next mark then. Ruby, look out! Gavin is now fully engaged with the action and has seen not only that mean little crowlet on course to maim his new girlfriend, but he's aware that the boar has gone self employed. Charity has completely lost control of it. The beast is making its circle. Caden is, of course, helpfully updating the crowd that, yes, it did that too last night before it attacked someone. Ruby ducks away but keeps up her pleading for Eric to stand still and be quiet. But it doesn't matter what Eric does. The mayhem he's unleashed isn't going to stop any time soon, it looks like. The monkeys are loving it. They're swinging across the car park along the phone lines. There's a chimpanzee jumping up and down, screeching on the roof of someone's Toyota Yaris, and there are squirrels chasing each other in an endless figure of eight, over the wall, up the tree, round the trunk and back down, over the wall, under a mobility scooter, and back up over a Vauxhall Astra van that, incidentally, has a flat tyre. But I digress. The point is, there is much mayhem underlining the central drama. Despite that... There is another sound, discernible. Someone's laughing. Gavin's noticed it too. Charity has, and Ruby, although she's keeping her eyes on Eric. The boar has reached optimum charging distance, it seems. It's stopped. It sniffs the air. Perhaps it's been distracted by the sound of laughter coming from... coming from that black cat car. The man inside seems to be enjoying himself. Our old woman with the angel's wings has noticed too. She's marching over to the car, no messing. What's this? She peers inside, folds her arms. Oh, you're back, are you? Well, no wonder everything's turned to shit. Go on, get away with you. And in the distance, is the unmistakable wail of police sirens. The car window is raised then, and the car purrs off towards Holly Road. Eric sees this, and he turns, his face that of a gargoyle now, he's so distressed. But he's not changed his mind. Tanya watches the car leave from the shadows and waits for the show to end. The animals are calming a little, although Cronut is still circling Eric, denying all comers. Elle manages to catch Charity's eye again and brings her back in the room, as it were. They look at each other. A line is forming in the air between them almost, invisible to the eye, but the heart can feel it gaining solidity. Their eyes hold. Their breath falls into a rhythm. They feel something as old as time and as new as a fresh green shoot. Listen, whispers El, to this place. The boar is still on its spot. No! says Eric weakly. But things have taken a queer turn. It's as if time has stilled. The distant sirens seem to draw. Rather than shout now, getting no nearer, staying just outside the boundary of Lower Lee. Gavin slides down the wall, still holding the collapsing box. He feels it too. Tanya raises her chin. She recognises something, a feeling. Others do. All those who have in their possession artifacts from the sweet-smelling earth can feel it. Those who care about them can. Those who loved Padma, they can too, and those whose home is here. So that's everyone then. Listen, whispers Ruby. It's too late though, says Eric, but no one takes any notice of him. They're listening to the darkness, tuning in to the red velvet night. The Mims listen too. The world their ears pick up is no ordinary northern English neighbourhood. Yes, there's the weird yowling of emergency sirens in the distance, and a breeze has picked up. But underneath the occasional quiet snorts and whimpers of the assembled animal contingent, there's the sound of a rainforest. And underneath that... They can hear the plains of Africa and redwood plantations of America, oceans, rivers, lakes. Now, there's a feeling of humid swampiness and at the same time a note of exposed moorland on high hills down the backbone of Britain. Next, there is a feeling of lush valleys in the summertime and of a woodland glade where travellers rest and meet, where love is sparked and grudges are reignited. Eric listens, amazed. But then, as Charity gently takes back her T-shirt from his hands and feels such regret and sadness as she remembers the confusion and shock of the death of Padma three nights ago, there arrives a sense of foreboding on the breeze. The listeners understand that here, in the past and until very recently, humans preyed on others for gain and lied about it. The same place where children play and stories were told. This ugly dissonance that formed in the viscous air earlier this evening, within the boundaries of Lower Lee, finally makes its way into the conscience of the residents, beasts and beings of the neighbourhood, and they bathe their minds in it. Eric turns pale. He looks down and sees his hands are empty. Elle begins to read from the pile of papers in her hand. Under a fingernail moon, the air sharpens as a shadow figure walks into the valley from the peak. She falters then and looks up. Everyone waits. A story, says Sally. The story, says Eric, chin trembling, eyes fixed on Charity. Charity continues. Descending from the other hillside, white as a ghost, comes another. These two will save each other this bright ordinary night. And Eric, with the sadness of never-ending time, completes the little tale. But they will both die for their betrayals. The boar draws its hoof across the dusty cement, snorts and shakes its big, bristly head. Eric looks up, hopefully, but he knows that that door has now closed. He sniffs, clears his throat, Back to his old self again. He glances at Tanya. They hold a look for a moment. "'People who were betrayed are here now,' says Charity. Eric turns to her. "'There's been love missing since Padma died,' says El. "'But we'll find a balance again. "'Oh, isn't that lovely,' Tanya says almost to herself. "'Hmm. "'Oh, dear, Eric.' Looks like you've lost your... role. What's next, then, hmm? Slowly rotting away in that crumbling mansion of yours. (coughs) The crowlet caws and the atmosphere shifts. An urban ambience creeps back into the soundscape of Lower Lee. Those sirens pick up their rhythm and resume their approach. There is scuttling from the roof pattering under cars. The old green Volvo that occupies the far corner by the hedge bounces as if some heavy being has just leapt from its bonnet. The boar suddenly sets off, trotting jauntily toward the crowd, and there is a collective intake of breath. People step away in panic. But the animal slows and steps forward hesitantly to Sergeant Farrelly. Florence she scents him, and he puts his fingers to her snout for her to sniff, strokes her head. Oh, yes, such a lovely time you had with Florence, eh, Alex? Hmm. Eric looks round to Tanya defiantly, glances around at his friends and neighbours, stares again at Charity, and without meeting El's eye, he clicks his finger to the crowlet, And shuffles away. That night, some of those who attended that strange meeting at the local theatre in Lower Lee walked the streets to clear their heads. It seemed like the air thinned a little as they went, and they were able to breathe a bit easier. Those few, like Lance, who stayed away, gazed at his neighbourhood from his upstairs window, mind drifting. Sally stood at her bedroom window too, swearing to herself again that she would make things right. And Tanya, who was not herself, who you might almost say had been hiding in the theatre, blending into the crowd, hoping for the best as she worried that set of old car keys in her pocket. When she arrived home, accompanied by Officer Hussein and flanked by Gavin and his big taped-up box, she stopped as she was about to put her key into her front door lock, as she heard the whoosh of a panther car as it approached her house. Turning in an impressive circle, It ejected the man onto Tanya's driveway, so another stage was set under Tanya's security lights and the hush of the cooling night. Tanya, I hope you're feeling better. I've been looking for you. Evening, officer. Mr Baron. Ruby looks at Gavin questioningly. I'm sorry I missed our meeting, but this isn't a good time. Perhaps... It's quite important that we speak, Tanya. You know that. I'm sure Miss Lawton-Jones can get in touch in the morning. Mr... she's injured, as you can see. Oh, she's tough as old boots, are Tanya. She'll be fine. I'm sure it can wait until the morning, can't it? The man leans in to Ruby. Your boss wouldn't like you getting in my way, you know. And Tanya changes gear. Of course I have some time. There's no need to fuss. Thank you for escorting me home, officer. Gavin. Ruby is open-mouthed. Got your viewing machine there, Mr Baron, I see. Oh, not long now. What? Tanya climbs into the car. She looks at the pair stood on her driveway and silences them with a smile. The man walks to his car and puts a hand up in salute as he goes. See you soon! <laughs> With minds whirring then, Ruby and Gavin followed in the wake of the vehicle. Gavin took his big box home and Ruby went off to finish the last minutes of her shift, walking the streets of Lower Lee, on the lookout for Mims. She stopped outside Padma's house and looked up into the bedroom window. Dark now with absence. She felt someone's eyes on her and turned. Lewis was at his front gate, staring at her oddly. You have a look of Badma. She smiled. Do I? He nodded. Then they both heard the chiming, very faintly. Do you think the uh, trouble has abated? I don't know. We'll have to see what the daylight brings. Best stay inside tonight now and get some antiseptic on those cuts. Lewis smiled, touching his head instinctively and nodded as Ruby continued on her way. She walked down Hawthorne and with a glance over her shoulder, ducked into Rowan Drive and then the entrance to the community garden onwards along the track and she stood again like she had the night before in the middle of the common land. She let herself exist there for a few minutes before she understood that she wasn't quite at the heart of the place. So she walked on, following her instinct. Arriving at Eric's back gate, police tape fluttering in the breeze, she looked up and saw the light on in Eric's lantern room. The chiming came on the air again, and she followed it, stepping onto the private land. In the green-black of the ground about her feet, she felt the change from earth to rotten wood, and then came across the old posts that were once a handrail. She dipped her toe beyond the line of the track, just as Charity had done earlier. Pushed down, soft, wet marsh, she kept pushing and pushing down until her leg was submerged to the knee. She pulled herself back out, got out her torch and peered down and thought she could see the outline of a circle. She realised that this part of the track was originally a bridge, not a walkway over soft ground, a bridge over a dip in the land filled now with fallen branches and decades of leaf-fallen and moss and all sorts. It seemed to glow as she looked at it and thought these things, and she realised, as if someone had lit a fire in her mind, that this place is the source of the green, as Eric called it. And it was the place where two people met in the valley. And it was the place where they died. Gavin took the decrepit old computer into his office and was firing it up to see if it still worked when there was a knock at the door. Shirley. I've taken Eric home. Can I come in? Course. Historical IT, eh? You do lead an exciting life, Gavin. It's the floppy disks. Right. They were... I don't need to know. OK. I just wanted to Get this over with, Kevin, if that's all right. I think it's for the best. You and me, not. uh, I know, I I think I need to get some help. Come here. It's all right. I'm all right. When I feel a bit better, I might be able to. um, I know I'm too late for us. I hope that. You and Ruby, you know, although I should make your life hell, obviously. But actually, I hope we can be friends, and that might be better. The computer suddenly judders into life. Blimey, it works. Gavin, please. Sorry, Cheryl. Sorry. Of course we're friends. Always. Okay. Okay. Can I help with anything? No, I just need some sleep, ready for a new day. Gavin nods, Shirley turns to go. Shirley? Do you think Eric and Padma consciously participated in some kind of, I don't know, I don't want to think. No, I don't. What was he trying to do tonight though? I mean, it looked like he was trying to... Yeah, it did. You know, Eric was severely depressed when he met Padma. And he would have gone the way of his brothers if she hadn't turned up. Either addiction or... Well, it's like his entire family was cursed or something. I think Padma kept his head above water, just. And I think him telling his stories gave him a lot of comfort. It gave him a reason to get involved with the community. Maybe him and Padma never imagined what they were doing could cause harm. Sometimes it's like that, isn't it? You keep doing something, thinking it's right, and it's not until you look at it from a different angle you realise there are side effects. We're going to have to watch out for Eric. People making those kinds of accusations... Stuff like that sticks. And he's obviously feeling very low again. He must feel responsible for what's happened. Yeah, I mean, he is, isn't he? Doesn't mean we should let him destroy himself. He's our friend. We should take care of him, Gav. Yeah, of course. I'd better go. She hugs him and keeps him in her embrace for longer than Gavin expects. I love you, Gavin. I'm sorry I couldn't say that until now. Gavin looks at her questioningly, tears in his eyes, his jaw wobbles. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Right. Shirley looks chastened. She lets herself out. Gavin looks bereft. He stands for a moment, staring into space. A bleep sounds behind him and he slowly turns. He bends to look at the screen of the monstrous old PC, grabs a random disc and inserts it. Purchased daybook, a list of items. He scrolls down, looks ordinary enough, until he sees Eric's name. Eric Bright. Portraits. £5,000. Dated 1999. Five grand? Why are they...? He scrolls down further, finding two more payments to Eric. Rifling through the other discs, he can see they're all related to the running of the business. One disc has no label. He ejects the first disc and inserts the second. It takes an eternity to load. Finally, the list of files appear. Photographs. Gavin raises his eyebrows. He opens one, looks at it for a second and closes it. Stands up, breathes to stop himself throwing up. Bends again, scans the names of the files. Each is a person's name, a child's name. Then he sees that there is a folder at the end of the list. Batch 1, 1999. He clicks, half covering his eyes. This file also contains photographs, but they are only identified by numbers. He risks opening one. They're shots taken face-on, like ID photos. They're each taken in either a studio or a plain room, all the same place, black and white. There are three of them. Children, two toddlers and a baby who has a plastic ID bracelet on its wrist. Gavin's eyes bulge. He runs to the kitchen, scrabbles among the objects left on the side from last night's theorising, finds the little plastic bracelet, peers at it. He can see a nine there. He runs back to the computer screen, realises the file name includes a date. It could be. He stands and thinks, decides to eject the disc and put it together with the other one in an envelope together with the plastic ID tag. He stares at the envelope, walks to the kitchen and with shaking hands pours himself a large glass of wine from the fridge and drinks it down. Eric sits in his chair in the lantern room at the top of his house. He's alone. Elle is with Charity, although Deirdre sits purring on his lap. He stares out into the canopy of trees. They seem to glower at him. He hears the side door open downstairs, and then the tread of Gavin's feet as they come up the creaky stairs. He waits. "'Come in, lad!' Gavin walks round the room and perches on the windowsill in front of Eric. He pulls the envelope out of his pocket and opens it. He pulls out the ID tag. There's this. There's a record of payments. There are photographs of two children and a baby. And the baby is wearing this ID bracelet. They are in a file full of photographs, which were obviously taken and distributed to men for money, for... Yes, all right, Gavin, I I see what you're saying. So you were involved in a... No, don't lie, Eric. I wasn't. Eric, they're not real. You're saying you made MIMS for... Eric can't look at Gavin I had no choice Where are they? Is one of them Henry? What? No, no they, They're gone now Are they? Because none of the others are They're all wandering the streets and gardens of Lower Lee Digging stuff up I, I sent them back once you and your friends had finished with them, you mean? Oh, don't. It, it, it was for photographs, not. It, it, it stopped them using real. Oh. Oh, Gavin, you can't stop it. It will always go on. I thought I was helping by stopping other children getting hurt. But why that? Why not go to the police? Easy for you to say, you naive idiot. Gavin looks like he wants to thump Eric. Don't you realise that this kind of thing happens amongst those at the heart of the establishment? You'll never stop it. What about just trying to stop it? Just trying? I couldn't. Gavin curls his lip, eyes glistening. Too lucrative, was it, the business? They threatened Padma. Gavin backs down and gathers himself. How did you send them back? Come on, tell me. You wouldn't understand. Oh, here we go. Eric, you're a liar. No, no, lad. I'm not a liar. I'm a poor excuse for a man, I'll give you that. But I'm not a liar. I just can't always get hold of the right thing to say in my head sometimes, like most people. You're sure these... these children, this baby, didn't grow up to be another broken person in pain and misery because of what happened to them when they were little? I'm sure What did you make them do? I didn't make them do anything. I brought them into this world, and the others. You handed them over. How can you make excuses? They were living, breathing, blood-filled human beings, even if they only existed for a short time. It was only photographs, and they weren't human. Only. I know. I know. Don't you think I know? Don't you think I'm ashamed of it? Don't you think it's like a weight in my heart to keep this secret for all these years? Gavin stares. He looks up. Is that why Padma stopped talking to you? Did she find out? Eric's face crumbles and the tears fall freely. He nods. How many did you make? Eric wipes his eyes. Twelve, in all. The baby was my first attempt and I sent her straight back. From then on, I got better at it. Gavin stares at him. How did you do it? The mims appear when you tell a story, don't they? So... Who did you tell the stories to? Gavin looks queasy again. Eric's face drops. He becomes a little shifty. I, um... You told a story to some... some paedophile about their... about what they wanted. And the image that you painted with your words appeared, but you're telling me they were only for photographs when they were in the room with you. Gavin waits for Eric to answer. I wrote it. I wrote it on paper, and the stories were delivered, and when we were finished, the paper was burned. But you said your gift was telling stories by spoken word. Well, I changed. I've changed since then. So that's why Elle uses the written word. She's your apprentice and follows the same, what, path. Does she know about this? Gavin... Just stop, please. Look, if you want to go to the police, then... Or would you prefer a lynch mob? I bloody well should. I would if anyone would fucking listen to me. But you know very well they won't. No living people. Some mad story about mims. Lynch mob, though. There's an idea. Or maybe worse than that. Trial by gossip. Gossip. And your friends and neighbours will leave you here to rot with your regrets and your shame. Deirdre squares up to Gavin. You and your flea-bitten animal. No, shh, Deirdre doesn't mean it. He's upset. At the very least, you helped keep this disgusting business going. Not to mention the carnage you've unleashed among the population of your own neighbourhood. These people who love you and support you. You ruin their lives by cynically altering their memories. I didn't do that. You and Padma both. You've ruined people's lives, including mine. Shirley's in bits because of you. No, shut up. I didn't mean to, and neither did Padma. Padma only wanted to help people. So did I. When you come from a family like mine, you have no choice, Gavin. What? Why? Who were they, the Mafia? Well, come on. If you're going to make an excuse for this inexcusable stuff, then give it a go, Eric. You wouldn't understand. Oh, no, of course I wouldn't. God, change your tune, man. Some things are beyond your understanding, Gavin. Try me. No. Shirley said, that she thought your family was cursed. Is that it? You convinced yourself that this was your destiny or something? A self-fulfilling prophecy? Eric smiles and judders a bitter laugh. Well? The shadows in the lantern room seem to pulse. The boxes and bits of old decorations, dirty old cushions and other odds and sods sit in their grubby state. The dirt on the floor, the grime on the windows, seethes quietly, giving up the odd insect as it finishes ferreting around in one corner to go and explore another. Eric's face glows grubbily, covered as it is in deeply wrinkled skin, that marked with a web of fine red blood vessels, his wiry hairs sticking out from his ears and eyebrows, look a sickly yellow rather than grey. His roomy eyes swim. He swallows and grips the arms of his chair with his arthritis-ridden fingers. But eventually, he looks at his cat and strokes her long ginger fur, and it's to her that he eventually confesses. It's the family trade. It always has been. ...in some form or another. Our blood is infected with it. It's the way we're made. Did I ever tell you that Padma wasn't actually looking for me that day she came? She was trying to find someone else. Her love. Something made her knock on my door... And she saw the intention in my eyes Of what I wanted to do I was planning to escape from my fate, you see Planning to end my life So that I wouldn't have to do what was expected And she stopped me But she never fixed me And she never solved my problems When I agreed to make the uh, I needed money that's all I had debts big ones Padma had made me want to live again for her so I agreed to help the family one last time so I could keep going what family I thought you were the last The last of my siblings. Who then? Cousins? Yes. Who were you in debt to? Who do you think? I don't know. Oh, I'm tired. Gavin, will you go now, please? The photographer was involved, obviously, so who else? Tanya's husband. Is Charity right about that? Lance? No, not Lance. Yes, Tony was a part of it. Uh, And of course, Brian was, although they're both dead now. Anyway, they're nothing. You wouldn't stop it if you stopped either of them anyway. Is it still going on? Eric looks up sharply. Nothing to do with me anymore. Help me stop it, Eric. I'll look into it without making a stir. I wouldn't do it to you, lad. That knowledge will kill you. And despite your boneheadedness, I don't wish you dead. I'm supposed to be grateful for that, am I? Please, go now. Gavin looks at Eric with distaste and perhaps a touch of sympathy. You haven't got long left, have you? You're a sad sack of bones and, my God, the memories of what you've done. How do you sleep at night? At don't, if you must know. Well, that's something. Gavin looks around himself at the degradation of the place they're sitting in. Is this why you've lived in this squalor for years, breathing in this dirt and damp and God knows what, drinking that green juice? Because of the shame of this. Maybe I just don't like doing the dusting. <laughs> oh. oh, You refuse to do anything to bring these people to justice. I can't. You'll be dead soon. What have you got to lose? You were going to kill yourself 40 years ago. In fact, you were trying to do it tonight, weren't you? You coward. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, pathetic. I nearly had a bit of respect for you then. But bloody hell, you're moralising. You're boring. If that's all you can throw at me, I'll take it. Oh, Go home, Gavin. Leave me be. What's done is done. You can't change it, and you'll never bring those who want that to justice. You just won't. Just give me one name of one of the people who made you do this. I've told you. No. If you don't, I'm going to tell people about you, Eric. No, you won't. You won't do that. People will remember what that guy, what was his name? Simon, what he said tonight. Things like that can develop. Like I said, trial by gossip. Eric shakes his head. You get out of my house, walking in here. I didn't invite you. I should call the police. Go on, out, get out. Gavin looks at Eric in disgust and leaves, stamping down the stairs with Eric following him. Deirdre hisses through the balustrade at him. And keep your mouth shut if you want Ruby and Shirley and all of your friends to be, OK? Gavin turns, incredulous, and stares up at him. I mean it. Don't get involved, Gavin, please. Answer me one question, at least. What happened to Charity? Oh... She. She met one of the Mims when she was very, very young. Because of her gift, she understood. So I had to change that. You told her the story with the rag doll. You persuaded her that the rag doll was really who she'd met. Eric nods. Nothing happened to her. No one touched her. Lance would never have let anyone near her. So, she's a witness. Gavin smiles slightly and raises his eyebrows, but before Eric can say anything else, he wrenches the front door open. Eric manages to make it to the ground floor as Gavin disappears up the street, leaving the door banging open in the wind. Eric wipes his tear-stained cheeks roughly with the back of his dirty, moth-eaten sleeve and steps heavily down onto the front path. He looks around at his disaster of a garden, the crumbling edifice of Lightwood Hall. He sniffs and shuffles off round the side, pushing the twiggy mayhem aside to get into the room under the terrace, guest quarters of the boar, storeroom for the bottles of green and gold liquid. He steps inside, pulls on the light cord, Everything is as usual. He takes a bottle from the rack and takes a swig from it. Calms his breathing down. Well, it's just us now. Best get used to it. And he peers into the darkness further in, under the house. There's movement there. Small figures resolve themselves from the dusty shadows... They walk towards him, holding hands. He smiles and stretches his hand out. Come on, then. Is everyone here? Story time! You have been listening to Lowlight Written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley for Crawley Voice Studio. Find out more at crawleyvoicestudio.com Thank you for listening.